Well, here we go, and I am ready, and I pray you are ready for John chapter 21, the last last chapter of this tremendous book, and uh, I pray you've loved it as much as I have, and uh, it is it is spoken so loudly, so loudly to our hearts, and it's been so good and relevant to what we're going through. So may I just say again that this is my Bible, and I pray it's your Bible, and it is God's word, and every word is true, and it's all that we need. I pray you are convinced of that. And as we move into this chapter, um, maybe you're thinking, what are we going to do next next week? What are we going to do, you know, in the coming weeks? And and so I just want to, I want to tell you something. I really, I felt even before all of this transpired, I really was hoping we could go into the revelation. I I know it's a book that some people um, stay away from, um, maybe some are afraid of, but I think it's time that we go in. And I know that there's many interpretations, um, many disagreements, but um, if you trust me, I'm going to take you in this book and show you such positive reinforcement. I want to show you how we can um, have hope, that we can hold on to this. And uh, so I'm not going to get into differences. I just want to show you in the chapters what we really need and what I feel Jesus is telling us. So that's what we're going to do. So if you want to come along, you are welcome. But as we move into this lesson, I just want to reiterate um, a little bit of last week. I mean, we saw how how um, Jesus said, peace, peace be with you. When he rose and then he appeared to his disciples, he said, peace be with you. Now, when he says, peace be with you, can you almost relax and hear him say that to you today? I know I have heard him say that to me so many times in the last few days because he is saying that to you and to me. Peace be with you. And you think, how can we have peace? How can we, how can we possibly be informed to what all is going on and yet have peace? And Jesus is saying we can. And I think the reason why we can is if we remember that he has freed us. He has absolutely done for us the ultimate, the ultimate thing, the worst thing. He is taking care of the worst thing that could ever happen to you and me. And that is eternal death. That is, that is hell itself. And if we can look at that, that we know Jesus has taken away. He has taken away the, the fear and the pressure and, and even the knowledge of that we are lost sinners. He has taken that away from us because of his sacrifice. He has taken away that, that 
ultimate fear that, that there's no hope, that there's no chances, that we are lost, we're doomed. He's taken that away. And you and I can live in this beautiful sense of truth that what he has come to do, we now can bask in that. So is as serious as the virus is, as serious as your pain and suffering is, he is saying to you and me, peace be with you because I have taken care of the worst as much as you think this is bad, your being lost and suffering those consequences is far greater. And so sometimes we just need to put things in perspective. We need to go back to that cross and how beautiful and how timely we are in this lesson. And so we go to the cross of Christ and know that he has taken the worst of us away. So um, when, we, when he says, peace be with you, I really believe he means that. And I pray that you sense that today. And then when, when the Holy Spirit, he breathed, Jesus breathed on them. He breathed on the disciples and he breathed on them what? Life. In Genesis, remember, he breathed into our lungs the breath of life. But now he is breathing on and into the disciples, his Holy Spirit, and he is saying to them that they have authority and they have opportunity to take this message to the world and they can be told that their sins are forgiven. And you know what I think he is saying here too when, when he says you have the message of salvation. They of course, they of course have not they're not, they're not able to forgive sins themselves, but they have the answer. They have the opportunity to tell. And he says, you have the chance. And when they hear about salvation, when they hear that their sins can be forgiven, and you told them, because how are they going to know unless they hear? think a verse that came to my mind during this week even was 2 Corinthians 5.20 where, where what is coming through us, we can, we're able to tell this story as if it was Christ saying it himself through us. We are his ambassadors and it's up to us to make sure that this message is told and we have the privilege of telling someone that their sins can be forgiven. But when he says, um, and then if you do not, then their sins won't be forgiven. I mean, that really, that really puts the, the pressure on. I mean, that's how much our story matters and how we need to overcome fear or whatever is keeping us from telling our story. Because if we don't tell, maybe somebody will never know how their sins can be forgiven. And then he also made sure that Thomas heard that you and I hear that we are to not doubt, but rather believe. And I, when he said stop doubting and believe, 
You can't have both. You can't say, well, I believe, but I doubt. You can't have both. He says, stop doubting. And instead of doubt, be sure, believe. Because what I've told you is true. And you can hold on to that blessed assurance. Stop doubting and believe. And John, he, he gives his purpose. You know, he really, at the end of 20, he pretty much says why he wrote this gospel. And he wrote it because he says, I want people to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you and I may have life in his name. We have life in his name. John doesn't want anyone to miss that. And he is trying to use every way that he can to make sure. I hear his longing and his passion. He knows what the gospel has done for him. And he wants to get that across. Do we have that kind of passion that, that we know what the gospel did for, for me? I know what the gospel did for me. Am I willing to do whatever it takes to get the message out so people can know that they too can be set free? So with that, we move into this chapter 21. And, and the disciples have been in Jerusalem, and Jesus has appeared to them twice, and now they have gone to the, the area of Galilee. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Can you just hear John and almost picture him sitting there saying and reminiscing? This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John, and two other disciples. I don't know, he didn't name them. He just said two other disciples were together. These men were together. And they said, I'm going out to fish, Peter says. Peter says, I'm going out to fish. Now, why did he do that? Why did he go out to fish? And they all joined in and said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat. And But in that night, that whole night, they caught nothing. Now, why did they go fishing? We know, looking into the story, we know that they had a big job ahead of them and they were going to be now sent to the world and what in the world were they doing fishing? But they haven't been given instructions yet. They haven't really understood yet what their responsibility is truly going to be and until they absolutely know what the instructions are, I, I see Peter saying, 
I'm going to go back to what I know how to do. This is how I make a living. This is what I'm used to doing. And until we know anything different, I'm just going to go fishing. Maybe he just needed it to settle down. And they all came along. We, we really don't have the the reason so we can't know for sure and there's going to be a couple things in this chapter that uh, maybe deep theologians can maybe give me some real big answer but I'm just going to kind of take it that they just wanted to go fishing I don't see Jesus angry with them. I don't see them up, him upset with these men. I think he is gradually trying to get them used to the idea that he is alive. So it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. They didn't even know. Now, how come they didn't know? They've seen him twice. Well, it says later, it was a hundred yards. They were a hundred yards from this, this shore. Now, maybe you men, you can think of this automatic, but I forgot, and I had to look it up for sure. And, and a football field is a hundred yards. So if you were standing on one end by the goalpost, looking to the other goalpost, the hundred yards is a long way. And I don't think they could see that it was Jesus. They saw a figure, they heard his voice, but they didn't, and you know how sound can carry by water, but they couldn't see distinctly. But they did hear him say, friends, haven't you any fish? And they answered, no. And so Jesus answered, and they don't know it's Jesus, but they hear this man say, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. Now, what made, did you stop and think, what made them do it? I mean, you'd think they would be so tired, and they would be saying, well, this was a bust, and, but we're going home, we're going to sleep, maybe we'll try some other time. But for whatever reason, they obeyed. Maybe they thought that he knew something they didn't. Maybe they thought, what have we got to lose? I don't, I don't know. But I just love the idea that they did it. And boy, look what happened when they did. They were unable able to haul the net in because the large amount of fish. So there were so many fish. It says they were unable to haul the net in. It was so many. Now I was thinking about that. I thought, is that just such a simple example of obedience? Um, in all my studies of scripture, I'm noticing that if, if I obey, there's blessings. If I disobey, there's 
consequences. And here it's just a simple, even though they don't understand or we don't, they don't even know, know who this man is at this point, and they, they can come up with all kinds of excuses, they just do it. And I think sometimes, oh, I want that. I want that. I just, I might, I always have, but why? That doesn't make sense. I mean, that's not logical. And you just trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That's what the proverb says. Now here, I think it's such a visual excuses they could have had, but instead they just did it. And look what the results are. Is it really that simple? I think it is. I think when Jesus says, when you obey my commands, I will bless you. And if you disobey and think you have a better plan and you don't trust my will, then there's going to be consequences. Then the disciple whom Jesus loves said to Peter, and we know that's John, here's the fourth time that he's recognized himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. So it makes perfect sense that he would be the one that said, it is the Lord. It is the Lord now. He couldn't see. He couldn't, he couldn't, he didn't just um, say, oh yeah, that, that's right. That's the way he looks. He just knew. He just knew from his relationship and what has gone on and transpired in his life in the last week. He is so ready to believe. And so he, out it comes out it comes. It is the Lord. And as soon as he said that, Simon Peter wrapped his outer garment around him, jumped into the water, and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing that net of fish. For they were not far, but a hundred yards. Oh, that's quite a picture, isn't it? Peter, I could just see the light on his face when he says, oh, it is the Lord. And then typical Peter, he jumps in the water, and then the rest of them take the boat and haul the fish behind it. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, the fish that they caught weren't to their shore yet. And so here is a miracle. It's Jesus again supplying the needs. And he's got fish frying. He's got bread there. And Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. In other words, We'll put some more on there. We'll put some more on there and we'll have plenty. Now, Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. 
And he, he was the one that jumped into the water, but when the boat got to the shore, he was able, in fact, I could just see his adrenaline, he would drag that net ashore all by himself. It was so full. It was full of large fish, 153, and yet that net wasn't even broken. Someone asked me this week, do you know why it was 153? And again, this was another one of those times. Maybe there's a deep theological meaning that, that in fact, I read some, some um, thoughts on why it was 153. But I don't, I don't really think that that's so important as the fact that you've got a fisherman telling this story. I mean, he, he and his brother have been fishermen for years and years, and they understand that this was a catch. I think, I think John was just, he had to put those details in there saying, I mean, this was like we have never seen. They were large, and when we counted them, there was 153 of them, and, and the force of that weight didn't even break the net. I think he was just so, as a, on a perspective of being a fisherman, he's saying, this was quite, this is quite something, and I have to write these details down. This was miraculous. And then Jesus said, come, come and have breakfast. He had said to them that there was breakfast, there's fish, bring some of yours, and we'll have more, and there's some bread. And, and, and then he says these beautiful words, come, come and have breakfast. Now, I, I went to Luke. I went to the Gospel of Luke, and, and in this chapter, uh, it, it was in the 24th chapter of Luke, if you want to look it up, and, and Luke put a few more details in it that I just think are so good. When Jesus, when Jesus um, was standing there, and now they recognize who he is, because this is the third appearing, there's something about what Jesus said in, in Luke's gospel that he said that he, he was, his body was now made of flesh and bones. Flesh and bones. And, and I noticed there was no flesh and blood or f bones and blood. and oh, There was no blood because blood's not going to be necessary anymore. And he is made up of flesh, though, and bones, so he's got a structure that, that's recognizable. I don't know about you, but that's kind of exciting to me because I think about when we're in glory, when we're in heaven, our res what are our resurrected bodies like? And here Jesus says that, that it's, He's made up of flesh and he's made up of bones. And in that chapter, he ate with them. So he was able to eat. Now, 
when he said, come and have breakfast, that's such a beautiful word. I love that word. It's so inviting. When someone says, come on, come on over, it just feels like they, they want you. They're welcoming you. They, it's such an invitation. Come. And I thought, I thought of a couple of things when I, when I was looking at that word. I thought, Jesus, I think that was one of his favorite words. Because he knew that he would be able to supply. And so come to me and I will give you what you don't have yourself or that you can even give yourself. So I thought, how many times didn't he say, come, come and see. Come and see what the Lord has done. But it shows that we have to make the initiative. We've got to come. We've got to accept the invitation. We've got to come. He offers it, but we still have our part to do it. Come, come and see. In other words, you're not going to see. You're not going to know me. You're not going to experience all this if you don't come. Many times he would say, come, come, and let me teach you. Come and learn. Come. Do we, do we accept that invitation that we come to his word every day and want him to teach us so we can learn? Come. And then I, I love this one. I, I love this one. Come, come to me and I will give you the rest. I will change your anxiety and your worry into peace. But you've got to come to me. You've got to hear me talk to you. You've got to have the Holy Spirit remind you of the truths I have given you. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. But if you come to me, I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and fearful and worrisome and anxious. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come, come to me and I will give you salvation and I will give you hope and I will give you a future. But you gotta come. I'm offering the invitation, but you got to come to me. And here he's saying, come, come and have breakfast with me. You know, I couldn't help but smile. How many times did we hear about Jesus eating? I mean, you have the feeding of the 5,000. You have Jesus um, um, having dinner with uh, the tax collectors. And he's, he's um, at, at Simon the Pharisee's home. And, he, and they're always eating. And I don't think it's the food that was so important, but I think we see Jesus loving what that food represented. It was a fellowship. It was a gathering. It was together. We can... There's something about being together. When we eat, we sit around a table, we sit in a, well, how, we, but we're together. There's, there, there, this eating, I believe, is so symbolic of what Jesus wants, because even in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is inviting us to the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
come to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. So it doesn't stop. We saw it when he was a human being. We saw it now in his resurrected body here on this earth. And then we're going to see it when we get to glory, this fellowship, this togetherness, that we will be with him and he will be with us forevermore. And it all has to do with what we do with the invitation. And then I noticed in that verse, verse 12, none of, none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? And the reason, John says, the reason why none of us dared ask, who are you, is because we knew. We knew it was the Lord. So it, it would be pointless. It would be absolutely silly. It would be ridiculous. Ridiculous to say, well, who in the world are you when we know? How often do we sometimes get silly and, and almost ridiculous when we know that he is the one who is working things out, when he is the one who is in control When I, when I heard them call him Lord, when they said, when John said, it is the Lord, when, when they all said they knew it was the Lord, I thought about that title of Jesus, Lord. And what Lord means is that he is in all, through all, over all. That title, when he becomes our Lord, that should take away all anxiousness, all worry, all fear. Because we know, when we, again, we've talked about how our emotions can, can overcome us, that we can't even see straight. And then I think here, when he is our Lord, when we dare call him that, that is testifying to the fact that we believe that he is in all, over all, and through all. That makes a big difference in how we handle life. How we handle disappointments and questions and when doubt wants to take over. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. And Paul said in Philippians 2, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is something I think every one of us need to go over in our hearts. Is he our Lord? Because if he is, and we're so quick to say it, but if he really is, that makes such a difference. Do you really believe that he is in all and through all and over all? After all, he is the creator of the universe. 
He is God Almighty, and there is none other, and he is sovereign. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now in verse 15, it's like, okay, now we're really getting into something quite um, life-changing, reassuring when we make mistakes. Um, I just think this segment of scripture is so good for each and every one of us. We all know what Peter has done. So when they were finished eating, Jesus knew when the time was just right to be able to do and talk to Peter in this way. So when they had had fellowship together, then Jesus said to Peter, in fact, I think all the other ones, whether he took Peter aside, whether they were listening, we don't know, but I do believe that that eyes met. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Oh, that is a heavy question. Do you truly, truly love me more than these? Now, what are these? Think about it. Think about what are these? Do you love me more than these? Could it be um, the other disciples that, that you know they have such a love for each other? Do you love me more than fish? You know, your job? Do you love me more than, than the things of this world? I can even I think we can even throw in family in there. Do you love do you truly love me more than these? I think these is a is a really big word here. Now Peter in in Matthew 26 and and you know we we know that there's there's portions of scripture that have said even in John 13, you know, Peter has said I don't care if all forsake you, I will not. I will die for you. He's made these statements, and Jesus is now saying, okay, Peter, now you've said that, and yet you denied me when the time was right there and you could have made a stand for me. Then you buckled under the pressure and you denied me. And yet I heard you tell me that you'd give your life for me, that when all forsake me, you wouldn't. So Peter, son of John, Actually, he didn't call him Peter. He called him Simon. Simon, son of John. Do you love me, truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Now, what's so beautiful is that 
He, he, he was right. Peter was right. He, he knew Jesus knew. He, he can see our hearts. He knows when we are authentic. He knows when we're real. He knows when we're phony. He knows when, when our motive is wrong. He knows everything. And so Peter, he knew Jesus could see his heart, and he did love Jesus. But Jesus is asking a very huge question here because he knows that Peter is going to be sent out and he's going to have, he's going to have a, not an easy life and he's certainly going to have a traumatic death. And so he's just making sure that these are more than just words. He's saying, Peter, do you truly love me more than these? Do you love me more than yourself? You're going to have to love me more than anything or you will never accomplish the work. He said, feed my lambs. I noticed with every one, with all three, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, or care for my sheep, and then feed my sheep. I saw it was my, my. In other words, we need to remember, Peter needs to remember that the sheep belong to the shepherd. We, we don't own them. And so he wanted Peter to make sure that he he knew, this is what I need you to do. I need you to feed my lambs. Whether he said lambs first, because the message was going to be brand spanking new and they were going to be hearing, people were going to be hearing the gospel for the first time and you talk about babies. So he's saying, I need you to start this message and feed them, feed them with what? The truth of the gospel, the truth of salvation, the truth of forgiveness of their sins. Feed them with that. Feed my little lambs who are, who are babies and are going to be hearing this. And, and they need to be told the basics. They need to start at Gospel 101 to feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. So once little lambs grow up and they become sheep, then they need more than just, just hearing um, words. They can't just be fed the same. They, they need what we can't just eat all the time. So he's saying, I need you to take care of my sheep. And, and take care is, is, is like protect them, guide them, making sure that they grow and learn. So take care of them. Take care of them. Lead them down the right path. Show them the path of light. Teach them how to listen to the shepherd's voice. They need to be taught that. And then the third time, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. King James says he was grieved. Same thing. I think when it came the third time, I think the realization being it was the third time flashed back. And he was hurt. I think it ripped. I think if I were translating this, I would say it Peter, Peter had his heart ripped out. I think he, he just was, I think the realization of what was now happening, it was starting to get it, and he is hurt, and he knows his mistake. Because when John said that Peter was hurt when he asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter answered, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And I think right there and then, Peter knew that he was reinstated. He was not only forgiven, but he was reinstated. How many of us think that when we have committed sins and we look back on our life and we second guess that how could he even love me, let alone use me? And the Lord is always coming to us saying, do you truly love me? And he can see our heart. And if he can see that, we're, that we are sincere and we do love him with all of our heart and we do want to be used by him, he is going to use us. He reinstates us. We know that he, he, when he forgives, he, he remembers our sin no more. He casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove all of our transgressions from us. We know that. But you know what he'll also do? He'll reinstate you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. He goes back to feeding them. And there again, I don't know, but he started with feed. Tell them the gospel. Tell them the gospel to these little babes that never heard. Tell them. And then make sure that more, more than just feeding them, that you're taking care of them, that you're teaching them, that, that you're, you're showing them, them the right path to walk, the shepherd to follow, that they're learning these things. And then he comes back to feed my sheep. I think we all need to go back to the gospel over and over again. Go back to that gospel message, the simple transforming that we saw transformed. We know John was transformed. Have you been transformed? Have I know I have been transformed, and the only person that can answer that is you. Do you know that you are different than you used to be? You have a whole different kind of purpose, a whole different kind of goal. You have a whole different sense of worth. 
And when we get sidetracked, I, I, I know for me, the best thing I can do when I get sidetracked and when I let the emotions take over or when I let the world sway me, I know that the best thing for me to do is go back to the cross of Christ. Go back to the gospel message. And he continues, he says, I tell you the truth, Peter. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. I studied all week on this, and it wasn't until this morning that all of a sudden that stood out to me. We know that Peter was crucified. But unlike Jesus, he was crucified upside down, but he too was stretched out. And his death, as grueling and as horrible as it was, his death, what? It says right there, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Yeah, you, we can be the Lord can be glorified even in our death. No, I don't think that's meant to scare you. It's just, it's, it's just saying that however the Lord chooses to use us, we can glorify him in life and in death. person who really, really, truly loves the Lord in their death it is noticeable. There's something about it. And that's why David wrote, even though, even though, because this is the ultimate question, what's going to happen? How am I going to feel when I walk through that valley of the shadow of death? David says, fear not, even when you go through that, because he will be there. And how, when we know him so well, when we love him so much, when we, when we have allowed the Holy Spirit to teach us this book and all of the promises and all the hope of eternity and all the heaven and the glory, even in our death, I think that's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Even in our death, we can glorify God because we are so sure that this isn't the end. It is the beginning. Oh, my. Then he said to Peter, follow me. Now, when, when did he tell Peter to do that before? Oh, uh, on that first day that they met or whatever, you know, when Jesus called Peter and his brother Andrew, when he said, come, follow me. And for three years, Peter followed. And now Jesus is saying, even though I'm giving you some pretty harsh news here, I want you to trust me and just 
follow me, I will lead the way. Now, what do you mean? You're leaving us. Oh, no, I've told you that I might be leaving, but I'm sending my spirit, and you will know. Just follow me. Peter turned. This is where you can really see that, you know, Peter is still Peter, and how our human nature can just really, on a whim, I mean, just a split second, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. So John was listening to all this. And John wanted to make sure that we knew that it was him. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Why did he ask Jesus that? Because Peter elbowed him and told him and asked him to do that. So John is making sure we know that, that this, is, this is him. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? I mean, you're talking to me, and you've really told me that, that of what's going to happen to me. Now, what about him? It's so easy to do that, isn't it? Well, if this has got to happen to me, then, then it better happen to them too. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? I mean, if you want to have a, if you want to have a scripture verse that pretty much says, none of your business, there's it. There it is right there. That's between me and him. All I, all I want you to do, and all you're responsible for, Peter, is you must, you must, 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 you must follow me. So, of course, the rumor started because of this. The rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? In other words, this is between me and John and between you and me. And my plan for you and my plan for John are totally different. That's why we can't compare ourselves. The Lord has us on different plans. We can't, com we can't compare ourselves to other people because it's just, it's just not, it's not logical because what he created me for, he didn't create you for. I mean, all you have to do is look at us. We all have, we're all so extremely different, and that's on purpose. We all are able to do different things. But it's still for all one cause. It's all for his kingdom, but I I can look at people and think, how in the world can they make that or do that? Because I wasn't given the gift. And then some people look at me and say, oh, uh, how I wish I could do that. But no, we're, on, we're, we're totally on different plans, but to get to one destination. So he was just trying to say, Peter, and, and we know the story with Peter and John. Look at Peter was crucified upside down, and John was put on the Isle of, Isle of Patmos. 
So, you know, they had, but look at, we couldn't have done without both of them. We couldn't have done without either one of them. Peter had his mission and his territory that he was to have the opportunities to go and tell the gospel. John was going to have his opportunities. This is the disciple who testifies to this. Now he's closing his gospel with these words. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. By now, he is pretty much sure that if we've read his whole gospel, we know who's writing it. And he is saying that this disciple who wrote these, he, he's the one who saw and is testifying, and he, he's writing it down so that we can hear it. And then he says, we know that his testimony is true. We know. We know. I, I circled that word we because I think he is, he is alone when he's writing this, but he, yet he can say, we know that it's true. Who's the we? He's so confident that the Lord knows the Lord knows me so well and he knows my heart so he and I know, we know that this testimony is true. I remember one time I was falsely accused of something and it was very traumatic and, and the only consolation that I, that at the time when it was so dramatic and, and it was so, you know, I mean, I thought that everything was, you know, my, my ministry was going to be done and all that kind of thing. And, and the only consolation that I could stand on was, and I remember saying it, but we know. I remember talking to the Lord and saying that, you know, you know my heart and you know my behavior and you know what's true and what's false. And I certainly do. And I remember that's when I knew it's plural. You know and I know. We know. And that's all that matters. Jesus did many other things as well. And John, this was, wasn't this beautiful when he said, if every one of them, if everything that Jesus did was written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. What a way to end his gospel. He's saying, there, I could have just gone on and on and on. That's how full Jesus is. That's how, that's how much there is to learn. That's how much there is to realize. He's getting us to see that we are never done in studying and in, in realizing that he's so much bigger than even what we know now. Keep discovering. Keep studying. And you will realize that the more that you get to know him, the more your life will be transformed and you will start to see more of Jesus and less of yourself and you will experience the joy of your salvation even in the midst of what's going on around you. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, John, for writing down. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for the truth of your word. And we just love the excitement and the joy that just seems to be overflowing in John when he says, I did the best I could, but there's just so much about Jesus. May we have a desire to want and know more and more through the power of your spirit. Lord, we want to continue learning from these 66 books. We know you have much more to teach us. And until we can say that we are like Jesus in every thought, word, and deed, we've still got work to do. And we thank you for your love and your patience, your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.